I love Jared Allen. Fear the frog. Pow! With the right hand. That's our boy Bob Schmidt. Jared Allen with the... This is the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cleveland Cavaliers and NBA podcast with Bob Schmidt. Nobody's going to subscribe. Welcome one and all to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am your lifelong Cleveland Cavalier fan host, Bob Schmidt. This is the first episode of 2022, a new year, and I've returned refreshed from my Hawaiian vacation, a honeymoon in fact. Mrs. Fear the Fro and I departed to spend a week on the island. And as we did that, that put me in a weird predicament of wanting to watch Cleveland Cavalier basketball in real time because that's how I enjoy to watch the games. But I did not do that for the better part of the week. I've been watching on tape delay because you try to tell your new wife at 2 p.m. Hawaiian time while you're sitting on the beach that you need to return to the hotel because the Wi-Fi is only reliable there and you need to watch the Cleveland Cavaliers because you haven't seen Brandon Goodwin And his debut is critical. It isn't well-received. So instead, the last week or so, I've been watching the game's tape delayed. And the superstitious part of me is wondering if that's contributed to the 500 run, which we've seen. Now, I know what you're saying. 500, that's respectable. The Cavaliers slightly over 500 on the season, 21 and 17. But as all of us who have watched the Cavs games can attest to, They've been playing better than that. They've lost some games they probably shouldn't have. They've had to suffer through a lot of injuries. And even more. Ricky Rubio going down for the season. A bunch of people going down with COVID protocols. Okoro now out for two to three weeks. It has not been a great season in terms of injuries. There is one person who has been blessed with relative health, and that is Kevin Love. We can all be grateful for that because honeymoon love is the best kind of love. Going into tonight, over his last five games, Kevin Love has been tremendous. 25 points, nine rebounds, three assists over the games. I'm not counting this Grizzlies game. I'm chalking it off. He shot six for 18. He was four for 11 from three. That is not helping my case here. But statistically speaking, 51% from the floor, 53% from three, leading into tonight's game. And in the first quarter, this is an interesting note. In the first quarter, because as I watch these games, I was impressed by how productive he's been to begin games. When they took on the Wizards, he and Mobley ripped off the first 25 points. In the first quarter alone, he's 14 for 18 from deep before tonight in the previous five games. I really shouldn't be giving you this in this qualifier way, but here's the thing. I don't want to factor in his shooting for tonight because it cooled down considerably. And I'm trying to celebrate his success, his availability, his steady play off the bench, and His ability to fill minutes that we've seen vacated as guys have missed games here and there, whether that was Mobley because of COVID protocols or Allen because of COVID protocols or Osmond because of COVID protocols or whatever the case may be, Love has been absolutely huge, putting himself into the conversation for sixth man of the year as we get into the second half of this season. But the Cavs have left some wins on the doorstep that they probably could have won. And that's unfortunate, especially... When you look at how some of these games have ended, the game where Rubio went down, they had that game. There is no excuse for losing to the Pelicans, but when Garrett Temple scores 17 points in the fourth quarter and he's perfect from the field, six for six, including five three-pointers, that is, well, you tip your hat and you say, that's never going to happen again. If Rubio stays healthy, though, I believe they win that game. 
They were in that game right until the end with the Hawks, and unfortunately, Capella was a monster in that third quarter. You can't let a guy have 11 offensive rebounds. It's way too many second chances. So they lose that game, too. Those are two wins that they could have taken. Now, they're just one win away from equaling their win total from last season, and hopefully that will come on Friday when they take on the Trailblazers. But tonight's game came right down to the very end, and then John Morant turned it on, scored the final eight points for the Memphis Grizzlies. But more importantly, perhaps, was a huge steal that he got on Brandon Goodwin, who was in the closing lineup for the Cavs. I was surprised to see that, but I imagine it was a decision forced upon the Cavaliers coaching staff because Morant is such an impossible guy to cover, and they did not trust Garland for whatever reason to be that guy. So despite Love getting some huge minutes in this last stretch of games, he found himself on the bench towards the end of the game, and Goodwin drew the assignment of trying to guard Morant. An all-but-impossible task. I certainly wouldn't expect anyone to shut him down, but the real play that you wish you could have back was when the Grizzlies were up by just one score, and Goodwin brought the ball over half court, tried to give it to Garland. Morant put himself between the two of them, stole the ball, got the layup, and from there, they found themselves up four. The Cavs had to try to score and foul, and you just want games like this to end in a situation where you can win it with a shot, or you can lose it with a shot. I would have been content either way. This game was so good, start to finish, by both squads. We saw a huge stretch of basketball from Jaron Jackson Jr. in the second quarter. The Cavs found themselves up 11 points. It looked like they were at that point where they could put their foot on the throat of the Grizzlies, and then the Grizzlies went on a huge run and ended up taking the lead by halftime. And a big part of that was Jaron Jackson Jr. scored nine points in the second quarter, hit all three of his three-pointers, and he shoots a a non-rotating dead ball line drive, but they go in with regularity. And certainly, coming off a night where he didn't do much scoring at all, tonight he was huge, 22 points. He was a big factor in the first half, and Morant closed it out tonight. It was a winnable game. You tip your hat to the Grizzlies, though. They are a likable team. And there are a lot of similarities. Dynamic point guard, rangy you know, power forward, brute center who just gets rebounds and scores around the rim. All those things are things that we kind of share with them. They have better wing play. We have Kevin Love, certainly, with Rondo in the fold soon. And it looks like he'll potentially be active against the Trailblazers if everything goes according to plan. Rondo probably doesn't make that pass at the end of the game. They get stolen. And certainly... He is a guy who we need desperately because with Okoro going out for two to three weeks, more and more is going to be needed from guys like Stevens, guys like Windler, Osman can't get him back soon enough. Because right now, we reached that end of the game, and if they weren't comfortable having Garland try to guard Morant, you were put in a situation where you had to choose between Stevens, Windler, or Goodwin to fill up your other guard minutes. And Goodwin got exploited a bit. Morant caught him with his hand too close. He hooked it, went up, made the and one, or made the bucket, got the foul. I mean, those are plays where veterans exploit the young guys. And Goodwin, I thought he was better than his numbers would indicate. He didn't shoot at all. I think he was one for five from the floor. He didn't shoot at all in the fourth quarter. But he did make some passes that gave you the sense he's starting to get a better idea of where guys like the ball on the floor. And he absorbed all of Pangos' minutes. Pangos didn't even see the floor tonight. So certainly, 
There's something that the coaching staff sees in Goodwin that they trust. Now, I don't know what we'll see from him moving forward once Rondo is here. I don't candidly expect Rondo to get the same kind of run that Rubio did, 25 to 28 minutes a game. That seems a bit high for a guy as old as Rondo, 35 years of age, and he's had his injury issues over the past few seasons. But who knows? Maybe he can play that much, and he just hasn't been forced to because he's been playing on teams who are very deep in the backcourt, whether that was the Hawks or whether that's the Lakers having a lot of star power in front of him or whether that was the Clippers last year having guys like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and Reggie Jackson who could all absorb a lot of minutes. We certainly need guys. I mean, we're giving crunch time minutes to Brandon Goodwin, who has been on the team less than a week, and we're giving him the assignment of covering one of the best point guards in the NBA. So Rondo will be a blessing by any measure because while Valentine had a few moments here over the last couple of weeks where he was solid, certainly he's not a guy we're going to miss. We have a bunch of, oh, he may show up this game, he may not show up the next game wings already in the system. We got Windler, we got Stevens. Ekoro's going to be out for a while, but we can get by on those kind of ancillary guys. What we need is a ball handler and someone who's comfortable creating and hopefully can get some of the easy looks for the big men that Garland is capable of. It's just too much to put on Garland's shoulders to expect him to do all of the offensive facilitation and to be able to just give up Valentine and bring back Rondo. It feels almost as good as it felt to bring in JaVale McGee and get, we got picks in the McGee deal, but that was just because his contract was bigger. Clearly, Rondo didn't serve much of a role with the Lakers. They want to take Stanley Johnson and make him a part of the roster for the whole season. So they get what they want out of it. We get a veteran backup. And assuming Rondo can stay on the floor, I think he can give us a modest version of what we got from Rubio. He's not going to give us the scoring, but really all that matters is that he can give us 20 minutes of capable point guard play a night. Just take the pressure off Garland to have to do everything and be everything for everyone. Now, speaking of taking that pressure off, Evan Mobley has been on a bit of a tear over the course of the last month. This month, only two games in, but he's averaging 20 points and nine rebounds. 21 points, in fact. Nine rebounds. He won't sustain that. But you are seeing him pick up his rebounding over the course of the season. We've seen him defensively become even better as the year goes on in terms of protecting the rim. He had a monster block tonight on a three-point attempt. He practically caught the ball again. So this is a guy who I thought the Cavs did an excellent job as a team, not just him, but Allen, Markinen, in making Morant question his drives to the rim in the first half. Now in the second half, he was only four for 13 from the field, but unfortunately in the fourth quarter, he finished through contact. He did not seem to be deterred. And they ended up winning that game. That's just a testament to how good Morant is. But the big man play between Love's surge, between Mobley continuing to get better, and Allen's reintroduction to the lineup, this is a team that's built from the inside out. Even as good as Garland is, how we go is going to be largely dictated by the front court since we no longer have the scoring threats of Sexton or even the offensive contributions of Rubio for the remainder of the season. I don't think it's realistic to count on a lot coming out of Rondo, so we're going to get what we get out of Garland, but you have to be encouraged by what we're seeing from Mobley. Now, his scoring is inching up slowly, but I think what I find the most enjoyable is that we're seeing him get better and better from range as the season goes on. He shot under 30% in October from three-point range, 
but went up nearly 4% in November, went up another 4% in December, shot nearly 36% from three-point range in December. So if that continues, it's just going to make him that much more dangerous of a weapon. And his momentum to begin this month looks very solid. He was great against the Pacers. And tonight, against a very formidable front line from the Grizzlies, Mobley was patient, using the pump fakes. Allen used pump fakes great tonight. It's amazing to see these guys and how confident they are with the ball in their hand. It's quite the departure from seeing how rushed some of these guys were. Where Drummond, it felt like he couldn't sense the doubles coming and he threw all sorts of turnovers or took wild shots. Or Tristan, who couldn't wait to get rid of the ball as soon as anybody tried to bring a double. These guys, are you're just much more confident when they have the ball in their hand, even when they're amongst bodies in the paint and when it's close quarters. So... Mobley continues to get better, and despite the fact that he did not win Rookie of the Month, that went to Franz Wagner and Josh Giddy in Oklahoma City, who statistically were very good. Wagner was doing it on a skeleton crew in Orlando. Cole Anthony has missed game after game. Suggs has been out, so he's been pressed to do more, and certainly he succeeded in that role, but I don't view him as any type of threat to the Rookie of the Year campaign for Evan Mobley. That still, to me, is a two-man race. It's Scotty Barnes, and it's Evan Mobley. And I guess Giddy has an outside chance, in my view. Statistically, he is very good. He had a triple-double, youngest guy to do it. Good things coming for Mobley, and we get to see him take on the Portland Trailblazers. Larry Nance Jr. reunited with his Cavalier brethren as they face one another, and we get to see who wins in this head-to-head battle between Lowry Markkinen and Larry Nance Jr. Now, Jr., Nance Jr. had played his best basketball of the year with Nurkic out, but it's yet to be seen what his role will be in this matchup on Friday night with the Cavaliers. Certainly, he probably won't get the kind of minutes that he had been seeing for the previous week. But as of the taping of this podcast, they are on a streak where they've only won three of their last seven. So they're on the outside. They're not even in the play-in picture. Certainly not what anybody expected when Jr. got traded to Portland. It was... One of the storylines was, well, we're giving him a chance to compete. He doesn't exactly fit our age timeline. Meanwhile, the Cavaliers are in the thick of the hunt for home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs, whereas the Blazers are going to have to turn things around if they expect to get back in the playoff picture because as it stands now, they have to leap over the Spurs. They have to leap over the Kings just to end up in the 10th spot. So certainly there's a ton of time left in this season. And that could happen. Lillard has been banged up in the early part of this season, but not the type of results that they were hoping for, I think, heading into the season and making what was a win-now trade to try to add Larry Nance Jr. to their core of guys. Now, one guy we will be without for the next two to three weeks, I mentioned it earlier, but announced yesterday that Okoro would miss two to three weeks with that elbow sprain that he got while trying to, well, he essentially, Sabonis set a screen and he got his arm bent in a weird angle. It didn't look great on the replay. Certainly didn't look like it would be devastating, but two to three weeks is a rough blow considering the type of injury situation the Cavs have found themselves in and also their lack of backcourt depth. So it stings to lose a Coro who had been on the best stretch of basketball that we'd seen, and then he got derailed by COVID protocols, came back, was a bit quieter, but still efficient. He has been hitting his three-pointers at a much better clip over the course of the last month. Only 20% in October, 21% in November, and December 
took a massive leap, shot 46% from deep, and now he's out for two to three weeks. So can't really buy a break here. But then again, that's the case for a lot of teams, as COVID protocols have all but wrecked fantasy froze season. But I'm not going to delve down that wormhole now. I don't have any Cavaliers on my squad anymore. I had Rubio briefly, but clearly he has been jettisoned. And that brings us to my next subject, which is what to do with Rubio in real life. Now, there are some interesting possibilities. Rubio certainly is a guy who I would be more than happy to see remain with the Cavaliers beyond this season. Despite the fact that this season is done, what he brought to the Cavs immediately translated on the court to better basketball. You always need a solid backup. I think he's proven the value he and Love and Osman of how much better the team can be when you have a reliable veteran bench behind your starting unit. And we've gotten way better play there, but you absolutely want Rubio to come back. However, he's an unrestricted free agent. He's under no obligation to do that. I certainly think that he could be happy here, and he has to be happy in the role that we gave him. The Cavaliers, by all accounts, were the first team to tell him, you know what? We don't want you to just create for others. We don't care if your shooting percentages aren't fantastic. We want you to play like Olympics Rubio. And there were moments where Rubio had massive games when he played the Knicks or even this last one against the Pelicans. He was one assist away from a triple-double before he went down with that injury. And we saw with regularity, when called upon to score, Rubio found ways to do it. So. I would think that he would be happy being a part of this culture, which by all accounts, it's made Kevin Love happier. It's resulting in wins. I would hope he wants to come back. But the Cavaliers are faced with some choices that they can make. The easiest one is to do nothing. They could just simply write out Rubio's contract, retain his bird rights, and then re-sign him on a cheaper deal or give him one of the exceptions. Certainly, that's an avenue that they could take. And that's probably the most likely avenue, considering we have not seen the Cavs make these type of moves in this regime that disrespect players. They gave Drummond what he wanted eventually. They gave him the buyout. They let him go to the Lakers. They didn't play hardball on the terms of the deal. They retained Tristan Thompson, but certainly they could have moved him, despite the fact that he was a longtime contributor to those championship rosters. They kept him. They didn't just dump him for nothing. There does seem to be a culture they're trying to build which values chemistry, and they may not find it worth it to jettison Rubio because his contract of $17 million gives them some options in terms of they could bring back somebody. And who? I don't know. Just top of my head. I was looking at Twitter. I saw somebody suggest, well, what about Christian Wood? Now, I don't think that is in order. He's a big man. We have a glut of big men. but. Just on the Rockets alone, for example, you've got Eric Gordon, who makes roughly the same amount of money, who's healthy. That would be the key component. And maybe the Cavaliers decide, you know what? We're going to take on a guy at the same money with an extra year of control and just kick this can, contractually speaking, down the road while also getting somebody who could get on the court. Gordon has 18 and then 19 million left, so he would be one more year of contractual control than Rubio who you would at least be guaranteed to have someone who's a rotation player next season, hedging against Rubio potentially leaving. You look around at other terrible teams. You've got the Pistons. Now, all the rumors on their team center around Jeremy Grant, 
who makes roughly $20 million a season. So he, contractually speaking, could work, but he's far too good straight up. Getting a guy like him would require putting picks with it. And then you have to ask yourself, I mean, he's not really addressing backcourt. Yes, he could play some small forward, and certainly we'd find a role for him. But he's not addressing the primary need on this team, which is to replace all these guards who have gotten injured. You've got Dragic in Toronto. He's on an expiring deal, veteran point guard who doesn't really have a place with their team. Perhaps they could send Rubio there. You've got Dennis Schroeder, who's in Boston on a basically a mid-level deal. So he makes substantially less money. You wouldn't even use Robio in that iteration. It would probably be some end-of-the-roster guys and assets in order to bring back Schroeder. So that's a possibility, I suppose. Maybe they take $17 million Rubio and they bundle it with some assets and try to turn it into Levert or somebody else of that nature. Now, certainly that would be a pricey trade. Levert has been balling with the Pacers, but I bring him up because his name came up in earlier trade rumors. I think those were more focused around Sexton, but still. The point is, Rubio has value to a team who's looking to get out of a contract. So it's not going to be some star player you bring back, not unless you're bundling Rubio with draft assets or young prospects. But there may be some fringe guys, solid veterans who exist on garbage teams. And I'm talking about guys like Eric Gordon or Jeremy Grant, who you could look at, who make roughly the same amount of money as Rubio, who you could either get just for the cap relief that it would give a team, or for the cap relief with some assets. You're not going to get Grant straight up for Rubio. There's no world in which that would happen. But certainly, he's an intriguing prospect in the sense that he could play some small forward. He doesn't really solve your wing situation. Probably not the perfect fit. Or you go to the teams like Houston, who are brutal, who have vets like Eric Gordon, or the Spurs, who are bad. Maybe you look at a Thad Young-type player. Again, he's more of a big man. They need to find guys who are veterans who play in the backcourt, ideally. You're looking for a bigger wing who can defend and hit some threes. Somebody who can essentially serve as an alternative to a Coro, but maybe also do a little bit more ball handling, because it's still a heavy burden on Garland, even with Rondo in the fold. So, Those are possibilities. You could see Rubio get moved. I would say if I had to make odds, it's less than 50% that they do it. But they did it with Larry Nance Jr., who by all accounts was even less likely to be traded because he was on a good deal, he was a Cleveland native, and he seemingly wanted to be here or enjoyed being here. And yet they, they moved him for the betterment of the team. So there may be a situation that arises where you can use Rubio's expiring... $17 million deal to serve two masters, to give the Cavs another piece in the rotation to improve their competitive chances this year. They may even choose to take back a player who just has more guaranteed money so that they have that kind of trade chip next year. Because if Rubio chooses to walk away, they're getting to that point where they're going to have to pay Sexton, where they're paying Markinen, where they're paying Jared Allen, where Love is still on a deal, and they're going to have to make some decisions about what they want to do. But certainly, I do think as we get closer to the trade deadline and when the sting has worn off from the injury and people begin to process it more and not be so emotionally invested, there will be a contingent of Cavs fans who start to look into, well, what could we do with Rubio's deal? Because keep in mind, 
Trading Rubio at the deadline does not preclude him from coming back and playing with the Cavaliers next season. And certainly, we saw similar things happen just even with Rajon Rondo. Rondo left the Lakers after winning a title, which by all accounts would be when he would be most emotionally invested with the team, but he went to get his money, and then he ended up back with the Lakers this season. Now, Rubio is not a parallel in the sense that if he signs elsewhere with the Cavs this summer, don't anticipate him coming back. But my point is, he could go somewhere for this half season while he's on IR, find himself in free agency, and still come back here to play for one of the exceptions. He's an older point guard. He's not going to command insane amounts of money. He certainly probably won't get anything close to the $17 million that he got this season, but he has definitive value to teams like Cleveland. Well, specifically to Cleveland. There's other teams who I'm sure would love him, but if he finds himself in a situation where the offers he's getting are in the range of the mid-level exception, then I don't see why the Cavaliers wouldn't be in a discussion there. And those are the types of behind-the-scenes discussions they could potentially have with him before deciding whether or not they feel like they need to use his contract in some sort of trade this season. Oh, and one last guy I was remiss, but Terrence Ross comes up again and again because Orlando is absolutely terrible. He's a veteran. He makes decent money. I want to say around $13 million a season. So certainly, he's a guy you could consider. It will be interesting to see how much of the void Rondo can fill because if it's not up to what our expectations are, I think you're going to start to hear more grumbling about how we have to try to get a more reliable option in the backcourt. If Rondo comes in and is just dominating, well, then this Rubio move him because he's a contract that can bring back an asset talk will probably not ramp up. But if we're still struggling, if we continue to play this kind of basketball where we're leaving these winnable games on the doorstep, that will pick up. I think what we're seeing is the expectations that Darius Garland can play 42 minutes of basketball a night where he's perpetually attacking. It's just not sustainable. So we need a solid 20 minutes a night out of a guy like Rajon Rondo, or we're probably going to be continuing to be active in the trade market. And we're going to see more and more rumors as teams find themselves out of the playoff hunt. Right now, you look at some of the seller dwellers across the league, and there's not much on those rosters that you say, oh, well, maybe that's attainable by the Cavs. You have the Magic, who don't have a ton of vets. They got Terrence Ross. Maybe you have the Pistons, who in the backcourt, they're very shallow. They've been rolling out lineups where Sadiq Bey and Hamadou Diallo were facilitating and scoring 30 points a night and taking 30 shots. And those aren't guys that are going to be on the move in deals. You have the Spurs, who their backcourt is pretty cemented in Murray and White. And they're already on deals that are pretty reasonable money. You have the Blazers, who their vets, maybe they look to blow it up. I don't know. I guess maybe McCollum could be a possibility. The Thunder don't have much of anything to move. The Pelicans, they just assembled their backcourt this offseason when they brought in Graham and they retained Hart. Between him and Murphy Jr., there's not really a lot of people. Temple is the veteran there. Sadoransky is the veteran there. And those aren't really appealing options for the Cavs. And then, of course, you have the Rockets. And they brought in Garrison Matthews, who's been playing very well, which certainly will lead to ramped up talk of moving Eric Gordon and potentially even moving Christian Wood elsewhere. But I just don't know 
if those are the types of guys who are worth sending out a guy who is presumably beloved by his teammates in Ricky Rubio. By all accounts, of course Kevin Love was going to love him, but he has created a lot of easy buckets and he's gelled with Darius Garland, so the Cavs may just leave well enough alone, sit on him, and hope to retain him this summer. Now the one other subject that has picked up a lot of steam on Twitter is a debate about the all-star resume of Fred Van Vliet versus Darius Garland. Both guards playing exceptional basketball. And Fred Van Vliet, he is constantly disrespected in my view because he was an undrafted guy who made his way in the league and he excelled on that team where he wasn't a primary option. And now where he is finally the primary option on that team, they're never on television anymore and they're not really competitive. So people miss his game, similar to the way that I think many of us as Cavs fans feel about how Darius Garland is viewed. I think there's a perception amongst us as Cavs fans that people don't understand just how big of a leap Garland has made from his rookie year to his second year to now this, his third season. If you were to talk to Raptors fans, you would find that many of them feel the exact same way about Fred Van Fleet. Like there are people whose perceptions of him are locked in into what he was when he was playing with Kawhi Leonard, when he was playing you know, with Kyle Lowry, but he's been incredible this season. I mean, just this month alone, he's been massive so far in January, only two games, but he's averaging 34 points, six assists a game, shooting 60%, shooting 52% from three. So he's having the kind of hot shooting that we've seen from Kevin Love last month. And this year as a whole, he's gotten better every month of the season, 17 points a game in October, 21 points a game in November, 22 points a game in December, and of course, off to that quick start here in January. So, a great defender, one of the better steals guys as a point guard. Now, he does not have the mid-range game that Garland has in terms of using that floater to draw guys in and create stuff for other people. So that's one of those situations, and I said this on Twitter, at Fear the Fro Pod today. I don't really like to get caught up in this debate of Van Fleet versus Garland as if there's a definitive answer because in my view both guys are great but the difference and the one that Cavs fans should be happy about is Garland is younger and the things that he does excel at he's not the defender Fred Van Fleet is but he's also much younger and what he is probably better at well not even probably definitively is his ability to create easy looks for Evan Mobley and Jared Allen so much of our offense is built around how deadly he's been at those pull-up floaters and mid-range jumpers where he shoots over 50% from the floor. And the fact that teams have to respect him in that range and his adept passing skills have allowed him to create so many easy buckets for Jared Allen on lobs, for Evan Mobley on lobs, or for just dump-offs. And that type of point guard, this roster construction has worked out truly incredibly amongst those three. For the people who had questions about the fit of Mobley alongside Allen, the fact is, having Darius Garland as their point guard makes both those guys better. And this trio is clearly the core that I think most Cavs fans look at and say, that is an ideal pairing. So despite how good Van Vliet is, and this is not a slight to him, I don't think there should be a Cavs fan who would prefer to have him over Darius Garland straight up right now. Now, you want to put Van Fleet in the all-star game over Garland? 
by all means. That would not upset me. He's certainly a worthy candidate. But I don't care about an all-star berth in the grand scheme of things. Is it a nice feather in your cap? Sure. Do I want the fro to make it? Yes, absolutely. Especially considering what I named this podcast. Would I love Garland to make it? Absolutely. But it's not going to make or break me either way. Because we all have to be happy out of what we're seeing from this young core this year. And I think the guy that the Cavs have in place is the guy that you would want in place. Fred Van Fleet deserves respect too, though. And I've always been a fan of the Raptors fan base. Maybe part of that is because, no, they weren't able to defeat us when the Cavs were in that LeBron-led run with the LeBronto Raptors or whatever. So a lot of times the resentment comes from losing. I hate Draymond Green. Would I hate Draymond Green nearly as much if the Warriors didn't beat the Cavs a bunch of times? Probably not. I happen to be more of a Raptors fan than I probably should be because I don't view them as an adversary in the same way. I view them more through the parallel of this is a team with a rabid fan base in a market which is largely ignored. They have their own difficulties existing as the only team outside the country. It's a team that has succeeded in large part because they've had a transcendent player in Kawhi Leonard alongside a bunch of homegrown talent, and that is what the Cavs did when they had LeBron. They had Tristan Thompson in there. They had Kyrie Irving in there. And I say homegrown talent in the sense that they acquired them either through the draft or, in Kevin Love's case, by trading for him with pieces that were in their system. They didn't just sign guys through free agency. LeBron, of course, they signed through free agency, but he began in Cleveland. And when you look at what they've done with Siakam and OG Ananobi and Van Vliet, these were all guys who got better and better year after year, fairly low draft choices or undrafted in his case, where I root for that guy. I hope he succeeds. I hope he makes the all-star game. And despite their struggles as a team so far this year, I enjoy the fact that the debate that we're talking about for rookie of the year is a Cleveland Cavalier player and a Toronto Raptor player. Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley. And if Giddy finds his way in there, so be it. I'm okay with that too. But I guess my point in bringing this up is we're going to see this more and more because the Raptors have a very devoted, well, Twitter fan base who's very vocal. So there is a lot of discussions I'm seeing about Fred Van Fleet versus Darius Garland. Personally, I think they both have a strong case. Garland, statistically, probably not as sound, but he's on a better team and he's younger. So that probably will work in his favor. Plus, he's on the other end of a lot of highlights as he's throwing all those lobs to guys putting down poster dunks. He might be even slightly more visible than Fred Van Fleet, who has had a great season, but he's not exactly a highlight player in that sense. So that's my feeling on the subject. Up ahead, we have the Cavs taking on the Portland Trailblazers. I'll be talking more about the upcoming slate next week as we see the return of Clay Thompson potentially. And also on the horizon in mid-January, we have a Brooklyn Nets road game coming to Cleveland to take on the Cavaliers. Could this be a Kyrie Irving sighting? All that and more on the next Fear the Fro podcast. Please, if you haven't subscribed yet, I would love if you do so. If you want to leave a review or rate it, also appreciated, certainly not necessary, though. Thank you for listening. I'm Bob Schmidt, the voice of Fox Sports Radio, lifelong Cleveland Cavalier fan, and you have been listening to the Fear the Fro podcast. Okay, that's enough. Stop it!
did. This has been another Fear the Fro. It's over. Podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out FroPod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.